Everybody doing well? All right? Good, good, good. Um, If you have your Bibles or if you have your phone, you can actually open up the Elements app. We're going to finish up the book of Joshua tonight. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. So welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, I know it takes courage coming to a new place. So we're thrilled to have you here with us and uh, sit back, be our guest, and maybe stop by the Next Steps table on the way out to get some of the questions answered and hear some things. And so we've been working our way through the book of Joshua, which we know is kind of the sixth book of the Bible. It's this idea of, of this new promised land that the Israelites were kind of being led to, and uh, God had given a promise years and years and years before that said, hey, one day when you get out of captivity, this is going to be your land, and God was in the process of leading his people back. Moses kind of rides off into the sunset, which means he passes away, uh, and uh, he transfers leadership to Joshua. Joshua takes the leadership, and uh, in that moment, Joshua is told by God, hey, you be strong and courageous. The adventure before you is going to be great, but you be strong and courageous. You remember that we read that from the very first week in this. And so we've been rattling through a lot of different things. If you open up sermon notes and kind of look or at you version, you'll find kind of all the takeaways we've had from the last uh, five weeks, and including last week we looked at the kind of the sin of Achan in chapter seven, and we said this is an interesting story. It's one of those challenging stories in the Bible and how God chose to deal with that with Achan, and then how God chose to deal with sin permanently through, uh, in and through the sacrifice of Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, to kind of make it all right for us. So we don't, we don't minimize sin, but we maximize Jesus, and we want people to see him and understand that this rhythm of repentance is meant to be something that's kind of a normal rhythm of our life because it keeps us relationally right with God. And so we're going to fast forward, because I told you, if you really are struggling with sleep, Joshua chapter 8 through 22. It'll help. Um, Because it's just, like, there's stories and there's king's names and there's people's names that I can't even pronounce and I went to seminary and it's just, it's a challenge uh, to get through. But if you fast forward to chapter 23 and chapter 4, that's where we're going to be tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there or follow along on the the notes type thing. And what Joshua is getting to in this point is he's going to say the same thing that we heard in chapter 1. He's now going to say it. He's going to say, he's going to call all the people to himself, rally everybody around. He is much, much older, and he's going to say to them, you be strong and courageous. You have to decide who you're going to follow. That's what he's going to say, and he's going to challenge us with that. And I want to unpack that a little bit tonight. Joshua's going to challenge them to make a choice, to make a decision. I was doing some research this week on the interweb. The average amount of remotely conscious decisions that the average adult has to make is 35,000 a day. And I was like, oh, I'm tired already. Um, In contrast to young children, I don't know what the age of the young children is, they make about 3,000 decisions today. Now listen, I found this on the internet. I don't know if it's true. You'll have to decide. Um, So choices are part of everyday life. How many of you make choices, right? Three of you are playing along, perfect, okay. Thank you for choosing to play along. Okay, so we all make choices every single day. In fact, we're going to play a little choice game right now. Are you ready? Okay, that first slide, Hannah. How many of you are Coca-Cola people? How many of you are Pepsi people? 
I'm with the Pepsi people. Okay, so you had to choose. You had to choose one of those two. Some of you I know, you're like, I'm a health nut. I don't drink soda. Good for you, okay? That's awesome. It's great. It's on tap in heaven, so you're going to have to get used to it, but that's okay. So, actually, Dr. Pepper is. Uh, anyway, so, next one. McDonald's or In-N-Out? How many of you, McDonald's, that's where you'd go. We'll pray for you. Okay, the rest of you, In-N-Out, okay, you'd choose In-N-Out. Okay, you're with that crowd, all right? That's a choice you'd make. How about the uh, next one? Chick-fil-A or Cane's? How many of you are Chick-fil-A? You have to go Chick-fil-A. How many of you are Cane's? How many of you just love chicken? You're just like, I'll eat any chicken. Just deep fry it, I'm good, okay. All right, next one. Movie theater or movie home theater? You'd rather watch a movie at home. How many of you are movie theater people? You want to go to the theater, see it first, got it. How many of you are, I'd rather be home? Okay, okay, that's all right. How many of you have a really nice movie theater set up at home? Perfect, we'll come over, okay. Awesome, next trick, here we go. Uh, how many of you would prefer to watch or be on Jeopardy? How many of you would rather be on Wheel of Fortune? <laughs> yeah. Wait, who's Jeopardy? Yeah, it's all the smart people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wheel of Fortune's like, I could just guess vowels. Okay, just, yeah, perfect. All right. How many of you uh, are math people? You prefer math? How many of you are with me? English. There are no rules in English. Yes, okay, we prefer that. How many of you math again? Yeah, okay. All right. And last one, how many of you, uh, Starbucks is your choice. How many of you would say Dunkin' Donuts is your choice? Wait a minute. Dunkin' Donuts, is that just because you get a donut with it? Okay, all right, just checking. Wasn't sure if the coffee was actually better or not, just there's the accompaniment that goes along with it. So choices are a part of everyday life, and here's the truth I want us to kind of wrestle with as we look at what Joshua is saying, because every day brings voices and influences who are trying to sway your decisions and my decisions. We live in what we call America, <laughs> and there are a lot of voices vying for your attention and vying for influence into your life. That's the reality of where we live. So there's this always these choices that are coming at you. Here's kind of the truth that I wrote down. I think we'll come back to it a couple of times is our decisions will drive our direction in life and ultimately will determine our destination and our destiny that we leave. The decisions we make will drive the direction we take in life. And that will ultimately get us to the place of our, our destination and the destiny that we leave behind. And so what Joshua is tapping into here is this reality. And he's going to challenge you and I tonight. He's going to challenge the people back then to say, hey, this is about a decision. Your faith and where you place your faith and how active you are in that faith and how you carry that out in this adventure following after God matters. And it's going to take a decision on your part. You have to choose to make a decision. So at the very end of the book, here's what we see in Joshua chapter 3. I'll read a couple passages from 23 and 24. In 23, here's what Joshua says, and I absolutely love this. Okay, here it goes. A long time, this is starting at verse, uh, verse 1. A long time after the Lord, after Yahweh had given Israel rest from all the enemies around. So this is after they've taken back the land. Rest is kind of, peace has kind of come over the land. They're there. There's still occupants of other nations that are around them. But that for the most part, they've kind of got their land, and they're there, and God's given them peace, giving them rest from all the enemies around them. Joshua's old and advanced in age. So Joshua chapter two, uh, verse 2, summoned all of Israel, including the elders, leaders, judges, officials, and said to them, 
I am old. <laughs> it's just, I love that. Okay. And in case they missed it, I'm advanced in age. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's just me. Um, you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God has done to all the nations on your account because it was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. He's reminding them of God's activity that we've seen over all these years of taking back this land. Verse 6, uh, here's what he says. You be strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn to the left or to the right, that you would keep going in your faith and that you would keep aiming your life in obedience to God, that you wouldn't get distracted to the left or right or drift to the left or right. You would keep going after him, uh, keeps going down. Do not call on the names of their gods. He's speaking of the lands that are around them, the other people groups that are there, and he's saying, look, don't call on their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow down and worship to them. Instead, verse 8, you be loyal to Yahweh, to the Lord your God, as you have been to this day. Three quick things that uh, we see here that, that Joshua's kind of hammering home. One is God's activity. He's wanting them to know that God has been so active in their lives, and not just in their life. Remember, he's going all the way back to how God brought them out of Egypt and provided for them for all those years, even in disobedience, how they had to wander around and delay their story. It took a detour. It took a little bit longer but how God had been active in, even in their lives here and how he'd been working in them. And I think it's a great reminder for us. So often in our life, we move on to number next so fast that we forget all the things that are on the, have been in the landscape of our life and how we've seen God's activity. I think this is a great reminder to say, hey, take some time to remember God's activity in your life and how he has been for you. For here, it's, it's God's been fighting on your behalf, but we read it even last week in Romans chapter eight, that, that God is for you and that he has been active in your life. When's the last time that you actually took some moments? Maybe Thanksgiving week would be a great week to say, I'm gonna take some moments to remember and maybe even make a list of here's how I've seen God's activity in my life from my past all the way up till now. Here's how I've seen it play out in my life. Here's how I've seen it play out in my family. Here's how I've seen it play out in all the different venues and opportunities and experiences that I've had. I've seen God's protection. I've seen God's provision. I've seen his activity in this, in my grandkids' life, in my nieces and my nephews, whatever that may be. What would it look like to take a few moments, Thanksgiving week, and just five or ten minutes and just make a list. God, I just want to pause and say thanks. Thanks for your activity being real in my life. Uh, psalm 136 is a great psalm that talks over and over about these activity of God and how he's been active in their life and the Israelites are giving praise back to him. Psalm 136 is a great psalm reminding us of this rhythm of remembering. The second thing is this, he's challenging them stay strong. Stay courageous, stay committed. Don't turn to the left or to the right. There is so much in our culture that will holler for your attention and will try to get you to decide to drift to the left or to the right. We have so many voices in our culture. I, I firmly believe that's why the discipline of solitude 
was so prevalent or prevalent in Jesus' life. I think he practiced that. Did he need to? Well, he's Jesus. He probably didn't need to, but he engaged in it because in his humanity, how he identified with us, both divine and human, that there was something about solitude that shut out the other voices and allowed him to hear the one voice that he needed to hear that would keep him on the straight and narrow, not drifting to the left or drifting to the right or turning to the left, turning to the right. Don't let distraction twist your decisions, which will ultimately turn your direction. Remember what we said? Our decisions will drive the direction of our life and ultimately will determine the destination and our destiny. So stay committed in this. Keep following him. And then this last thing, he says, let your loyalty remain with God alone. Let your loyalty be here. Joshua's primary concern was that God's people were going to live in a region of the world that had many other influences and many other voices and many other theological thoughts, many other theological pursuits, many other um, philosophies, uh, aims of life, takes on how you live life. And I think one of his primary concerns was saying, hey, don't get caught up in all these other distractions. You know the truth. So let your loyalty remain with God. Let it linger in his presence alone. You're gonna be surrounded and alongside and mingled with so many other cultures. It raises kind of this age-old question. Well, as believers, are we supposed to retreat from the world? and kind of hold up in our own little group, and that's it? Well, I just don't see that in the Bible. What I see is, is a group of people who are on the offensive, not the defensive, who are on the offensive to say, hey, we're partnered up with the greatest king ever, who's advancing his kingdom, and he's advancing it through grace and hope and love, and we are to, to be the heralders of that message, and of that king, and that we're to champion his cause and to follow him, which means that we have to learn this delicate dance that's demanded of Christians, that we're to be on mission for Christ, but we don't deviate away from the heartbeat of who God is and the truth that he calls us to, that we're leading people and pointing people to him, living among the very people that God is seeking, while at the same time retaining our own unique Christian identity. We don't change who we are because Jesus is the one who changed us. We're inviting others to experience that change and that life-giving hope that we have found. And so it's this delicate dance. But I think that's the call of when your loyalty stays with God, you're allowed and you're opened up to be a part of that dance and to be an influencer into God's kingdom, into his ways. I love how uh, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. I'm gonna read it from the message because I, I like how it's, how it's read and how it reads here. And if it helps you just to close your eyes and listen to this, this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around kind of life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, that's the key word, instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops and well-formed maturity in you that reflects him. It's this challenge to say, hey, these voices around me, they don't get the final say. There's one and one alone who has the final say and sway over how I see life and how I engage in life and how I navigate life. And that's God and God alone. My loyalty needs to be with him. Divided loyalty is a dangerous thing, isn't it? You know that. If you own a business, you know that. As a teacher, you know that in your workplaces, in your friendships. It's a slippery slope. And I think what Joshua is saying is, look, there's going to be a moment here where you can let your, your loyalty kind of linger somewhere else and you keep it lingering with God in his presence. Joshua is saying, stay strong and courageous. You belong to God. Get your bearings from him and him alone. He goes on, uh, chapter 24, if you want to turn the page or kind of scroll down on the app there, here's what it says. Chapter 24, verses 14, 15. Therefore, after all these words, he said, therefore, fear the Lord, fear Yahweh, and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your father's worship, the lower G, these other things that captured their attention beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt, and worship the Lord. You worship Yahweh. Anytime you see all caps, that's Yahweh. That's speaking of him. Lowercase is like maybe a, a lord of a region or a, a, over a kingdom type thing. But if, you, uh, but if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose yourself today which you will worship. The gods of your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River, the gods of the Amorites of whose land you are living now. But as for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. This is the famous saying from Joshua. Hey, as for my house, we're going this way. That's what he says. He kind of draws a line in the sand. And when he's challenging the people, first off, I love to remember, I'm old. That's how he starts his speech. And I've decided, my family, we're going this way. We're going to follow Yahweh. No other distractions, no other divisions. Today, you better choose. That's what he's saying. You've got a choice to make. We make them all the time. And he's drawing this line in the sand, saying, as for me and my family, this is what we're going to do. You remember Cortez, famous explorer, back in uh, 1519, lands at Veracruz at the beginning of the conquest of Mexico, and rumor has it that he gets ready to go into the inner portions of Mexico, and what does he do to the ships? Anyone remember? History lesson? He burns them because he made a decision in that moment that he wanted all these ships that they came on to not be a distraction of where the mission that they were going. And so he ordered them burned, and they burn and, and just sink right there in the sea. And then they go in, and they only have one choice now, these 700 men. We're going forward. That's our decision. It's kind of this line in the sand that Cortez makes. And Joshua, in this moment, is saying to the people, look, there, there can be lots of options. Here's the, the challenge of our culture. We live in a culture that is filled up to the brim and overflowing with options. Now, I like options. My hunch is you like options. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. We live in a a great country that affords us the opportunity 
to have options. There's a lot of people around the world who don't. We're lucky that we get to have options. But the problem with options is it tends to leak into all of our relationships and how we approach things. That's why I can meet with a young couple yesterday and say, okay, you're looking toward marriage. Uh, you realize marriage is 100% commitment, 100% commitment, right? It's not a 50-50 thing. If you're thinking it's a 50-50 thing, you've already, you should stop right now because it's not a 50-50 thing. It's 100% in and 100% in, and when you both do it, you both win. But that's the kind of commitment. So we live in a culture that doesn't like to talk about commitment. Uh, we live in a culture that likes to talk about options. And, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that in a lot of ways. But when you can't talk about long-term commitments and, and understanding that what's desired there, what's desired in relationships is long-term commitments. That's what you want. That's what you desire. That's what you work for. Today, we fear commitments. We're often lived by the creed of, well, I want to keep my options, what? Open, right? We kind of live by that. Or we live by FOMO. Young people will know that. FOMO, what is that? Fear of missing out. And so we don't commit to anything to the very last minute because there might be a better option that comes up. And so we don't want to miss out on things. In other words, we don't want to get to the end of the buffet line and find out that we have no more room for cake and ice cream on our plate. And there's no other plates. So what Joshua is pointing out is the truth. Commitment is a necessity and a necessary component of worship. Commitment is a necessary component of worship. You have to have it in order for it to really be worship. And here's the truth. You and I were made to worship. We were created to. And so we will worship someone or something. We will. There's no, there are no options to that. We will do it. But we've been wired to worship God. And there's lots of other options out there. We'll apply for that and, and holler for your attention, your affection, your allegiance. But God's saying, I, I made you for me. And, and I've done everything to connect in this relationship with you, and I want you to connect with me. See, worship does not call just for our attention and our affection. It's a decision to not have a divided loyalty. It's a decision to say, I'm, I'm going to have all my loyalty linger with God the best I know how in the moment I'm in. Worship requires more than a superficial decision. It calls for an intentional allegiance. That's what Joshua is challenging. We get to choose. We get to choose this day. We get to choose God, yes or no. We have the option with that. But who and what we worship is our decision to make. It takes strength and it takes courage to follow Christ alone among all the other things that are vying for your attention and vying for your affection. In the plethora of gods and things that seek your allegiance, God is asking you to choose him. He chose you and he's asking you to choose him. Uh, I, I wrote it this way. Jesus desires and deserves our absolute love, not an optional love. And optional love taps out when, when it gets too tough or when it gets too challenging or when the feelings are fleeting or the emotions are drifting. Jesus is saying, I desire and deserve an absolute love because I've given an absolute love to you that you can never lose and you can't even walk away from it. He gave his absolute best for us and he deserves our best in return. 
remember all that God has done and resolve to follow after him. Don't live a divided attention. Um, I don't know if you've ever, uh, some of you don't like sports, and I'm sorry for the sports analogy, but um, Michael Jordan was probably known most for, I mean, athletic ability, obviously, but his ability to focus was one of his great attributes. Uh, He had a lot of rough edges to him as well, but he had the incredible ability to focus. And there's a story he tells in the book uh, Driven from Within that he wrote about Fred, Fred Whitfield, who was the president and chief operating officer of the NBA Charlotte Bobcats, as he went to his house one night, and they were getting ready to go out for dinner, and Michael asked Fred, he said, hey, can I borrow a jacket tonight? And wherever they were going to dinner, he needed a jacket. And Fred says, sure, it's in the closet, go look in the closet. And uh, Michael goes back to the closet, And what he sees in Fred's closet disturbs him. And so he sees a bunch of Nike gear that he's provided to Fred because he's obviously one of Nike's biggest clients. He also sees a bunch of Puma gear, a bunch of other gear that's there. And the story goes that he took all of those other items out of the closet, went to the living room, looked at Fred, didn't say a word, went to the kitchen, got a butcher knife, cut all the other, all the other gear uh, from the other company into shreds, picked it up, walked outside to the garbage can, threw it away, came back in, put the knife back in the butcher block, and looked at Fred and said, you can't ride the fence, decide. And then they went out to dinner. Awkward. Here's the point of tonight. Joshua beat Michael Jordan to the punch by a couple thousand years. You can't ride the fence. You have to decide. That's what Joshua's saying. And you not only decide this day, tomorrow when you wake up, you decide again. And on Tuesday, you're gonna decide again. And on Wednesday, you're going to decide again. And on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and on into next week and next month and next year and the next decade, you decide. That's what Joshua is saying. Friends, Jesus doesn't deserve our optional love. He deserves our best. And what Joshua is pointing out thousands of years before Jesus shows up is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. You pick up your cross and you follow me. It's a decision. It's not based on emotion. We can make a lot of foolish decisions based on emotion. How many of you have done it? Yeah, me too. But a decision of the will means I've counted the cost, I've thought it through, I've calculated it out, and this is the best decision for me to make. And that's what Joshua's challenging the people then and challenging you and I tonight, is to say we get to choose. You cannot ride the fence. It's the line in the sand, and Joshua says, as for me and my family, we're gonna follow Yahweh. We're gonna follow God. That's what we're gonna do. And we'll have ups and downs in it, but that's what we're gonna do. And whether you're old, like Joshua, or whether you're young, the reality is you have a choice because we all do. We make them all the time. And your faith is one of those. It's a decision of the will to say, God, the best I know how, 
I want to choose you. I want to follow you. And so as we move toward a time of communion and, and a final worship song here tonight, and we're going to have a moment of a, a child dedication here at the end, which uh, I'm really excited for us to participate in together. It's a family choosing tonight to say, hey, we're going to go this way. We're going to follow God, and we want to raise our family to follow God. And so we're going to be a part of the, participating in that in a few moments. So I want to give you some space just to think right where you're at uh, before you take communion. Uh, we remember Jesus' his life, his death, his resurrection, as he made a way for us to have life with God through faith in him. And he made a decision. He didn't ride the fence. He came and he said, you, 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 you're worth pursuing all the way to the cross. And through all the horror and through all the shame of that, and all the turmoil of that, because you're worth it to Jesus. And he made a decision. He didn't ride the fence. And now what he's challenging us is to say, would you follow me that way? The best you know how, not perfection, but progress, that you'd choose me as I've chosen you. And so, would you just kind of pray with me? And then we'll take about 30 seconds or so in quiet, and we'll take communion. We've got communion up front here, uh, gluten-free if you need that. In the back, you're welcome to take that back to your seat. There's cup holders in the chair in front of you that you can place your cups there. But just want to give you some space to think and reflect. We did this a little bit last week, but uh, would you just pray with me? So, Father, we're grateful for Joshua, the study in this book that is so long ago and in some ways seems so ancient and different than our times, but in so many ways. It challenges us to the very core of who we are and what we face right now, right here. And this whole idea of worship, God, you desire a commitment in worship. It's a component of it. It cannot be worship without commitment. And you seek out to have our hearts aimed in your direction as you aimed your whole life and the whole sacrifice of your life, Jesus. What we remember in communion, your your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, your body broken so that ours wouldn't be broken, that we might have a whole and healthy life with you through faith in you. We remember that. As we take communion in a few moments, we ask that you would just stir our hearts afresh tonight. Maybe this week is a week where we take some time to remember the activity of you through the landscape of our life and all the things that we've seen you active in our life and how you've been impacted us, saved us in some ways, steered us in other ways, just graced us with your presence, uh, your presence, just, just gifted us with joy. And we remember. Oh, Father, we also, we want to be a people that choose you daily, that this day I will serve the Lord. And we know those decision moments come. And so would you help us to, to seek you that our loyalty would linger in your presence and your presence alone. So Father, would you just speak to our hearts these next 10, 20 seconds or so and as we take communion? Would you just let this be a special moment as we sing, as we pause? Would you meet us here?